Well, let's get it over with. What have you eaten? Trent. My man. Yeah. My muchacho. <laughs> See? Uh, I had la pasta. Uh-huh. Uh, it was penne. It was with red sauce. Um, A red sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. Um, yeah. Uh, my dad made the sauce and cooked the pasta. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh... Could it also be called, if you were local, marinara sauce? That's another name for it, right? Yes. If you were a native? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Part, do you have any Italian background? Um, well, Come I'm clean. part Marate and well known as um, part Italian. Uh, you want to know a funny story? Please. Um, m- my brother was loved italian food specifically pizza and pasta uh naturally i mean don't we all i mean that's part of existing to the point where in in my fourth grade this was in 2011 this happened we went to paris in france sure and he threw a tantrum because he wanted pizza and pasta so we ate italian food in paris in france yeah we went all the way there. So are you saying like, oh, Virage was the younger brother and he was a picky eater? And he so wasn't you... a picky eater, generally, just in Paris. So are you saying that he went there expecting for there to be good pizza and pasta? Like, I think it should be noted that Virage at this point was three years old. So I don't think we can really hold him accountable. Yeah, I was just going to say he probably was just like I don't want to say a baby. He was like a child. I don't know. He was, to- he was like toddler, toddler aged. Yeah, yeah, he probably just had a hankering. I mean, at that age you probably don't even know that you're not in the same country. Yeah. So he probably thought he was at home asking for pizza. So he's just a little stupid at that age, eh? I don't even think I have many memories from age 3. Me neither. My earliest memory ever I only know that I was three because of when this movie came out, and it's crazy that the the first time I remember being alive is being in the theater of Star Wars Revenge of the Sith and seeing General Grievous, his Trent, face what, on what screen. What have been four? When did that movie come out? 2005? I guess I was uh, my, four. My, my earliest theater memory is seeing The Incredibles in theaters. What year was that? Doesn't specifically only the scene like after. Do you remember any of the Incredibles? Well, I I know the whole movie. Um, yeah, sure. You know the scene where they save the people from the burning building and then they take their masks off. I sure yeah, do. That, that's yeah. the only part that I remember seeing in theaters, and I remember thinking like they were in the building. Is is the mask made out of the ash of that? Of, of, like, things that burnt down. I don't know why, but I just thought that's what that was. No, it was a disguise. Which I'm sure, as an adult, you know. Wait, now. what? So, I must admit, I wasn't actually cool enough to be taken to see a sixth installment in the Star Wars franchise at such a young age. I know for a fact that I was taken there to see a different movie, and that one thing led to another, and we briefly stepped in. General Goose was on screen... And that was burned into my mind. And uh, here we are. Time has passed. Well, Trent, I, I, I realize I never asked you, but um, what did you have to eat recently? Thanks for asking. Make it snappy, will you? We're, we're about five minutes in, okay? Thanks. 
Uh, I am low on finances right now, and I have a gift card to the place I work. So I just went to the food court there, and I bought like a week's worth of food, and I've just been living off the land for a while. Mm. So I nibbled on a freezer bitten chicken Caesar salad. Uh, was it good? No. Was it free? Yes. So Parth, do you want to hear? Uh, this is. I have a, a tangent. I warned you before that this was happening. I have no issues, and I certainly didn't say, Trent, stop. Uh, that part was not cut out. You sound really enthusiastic, but this is a film podcast, am I wrong? And I came to something of a film realization, and I had a film dilemma today. And it's about a movie you know, it's about a movie you care about. But I, I don't know, just us being friends, also Guys us being... being us being co-hosts of a podcast, I thought this was a suitable location. Yes, please, please, please. To... So are you aware that Quentin Tarantino is a director? Uh, his most recent movie was was who? Was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Yeah. And do you remember in second semester for Intro to Film 2, It was that was one of the movies we could write a paper about. Yeah? This is true. And I don't know, what movie did you choose to write about? Uh, I chose to write about Vertigo. Nice. Uh, I like that movie also. How did the paper go for I you? I got a B plus. I also got a B plus. How long was yours? I have no idea. I'm going to guess five pages. Cool. Mine's seven. So I wrote mine on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and basically the reading we had to do for class was someone in one way or another, this is a broad statement, saying that the movie was racially insensitive for X, Y, and Z. And it was my freshman year at film school, and I was like, I like this movie, I like Tarantino, I really don't think it's offensive. As controversial as this might be, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to bat for it. And I wrote seven passionate pages defending it. And a big discussion point, do you remember the Bruce Lee scene? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cliff fights Bruce Lee, and no one definitively wins, but you know how the the Lee estate was very offended, and people said that the portrayal was distasteful, yeah? yeah? And I went to bat for it saying, this isn't offensive. You the, the white, straight male, right? I'm just, I'm just making that clear. This story's heading in the direction of me realizing that I was kind of dumb, mm. uh, so brace yourselves. I was listening to a podcast today about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and they were talking about that scene in particular, and in, like, the build-up, there's, like, some extras in the background, because it's, like, supposed to be, like, an on-set scene. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Cliff throws Bruce Lee into the car, and then the, the stunt woman in the cowgirl hat comes and confronts them, and then Kurt Russell's there. You know the whole deal. Continue. Then in the reverse shot, all the extras have disappeared. And the, in the podcasts I was listening to, it was said that this 100% for sure says that this is a fantasy of Cliff's and that none of this happened. And everyone kind of like nodded. I mean, it was a podcast, so I don't know if they nodded, but they agreed. And then I thought, oh, that kind of one fact alone if that's true, kind of derails my entire argument. And then I felt dumb, 
And then I thought about writing Professor Fresco and being like, I'm sorry that I contested this B plus because perhaps it was deserved. Wow. What do you think? What do you think about that? Do you have any opinions? I I think realizing that maybe you were holding on to something you didn't need to uh, was a wonderful realization you made that happens in our movie of today no matter you're really you're really gonna turn that into a segue cue the intro Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Uh, each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the movie. Last week, we had first assistant director and unit production manager, Mary Kerrigan. She talked with us about our film for this week, Nomadland. So if you haven't checked out that episode, please make sure you do. She was a wonderful guest. She dealt with our awkward pauses off screen. Um, yeah, she was great. We hope you check it out. And uh, would you would you agree with my assessment of the situation? Yeah, I agree with everything you say. Um, but this week, uh, even though during the end of last week's episode, there was potential uh, controversy of will they have a guest? And that's part of the... Uh, the unexpected nature of the show is no, there will not be. We didn't know either, and now you know that we didn't know. As much as we like to keep you on your toes, we like to keep us on our toes. This movie, it happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, did it? Did it? Did it cost money? Did it have a synopsis? What? Any of that? Yeah, I guess these are all necessary. Well, Trent, this um, this movie had a budget of four to six million dollars. Um, and a box office of only $1.1 million. But I don't think we can really judge it because it was released during the pandemic. So it was distributed by Fox Searchlight, um, but then sold uh, to release on Hulu. All all the numbers were undisclosed as far as I can tell. Hulu does not uh, disclose its viewership ratings. I am kind of aghast at... The amount, uh, because I think Netflix releases. No, it does. For some streaming services, it, it the information comes out of oh, HBO Max spent five million dollars on this, and I'm like, how can they calculate that that movie alone is going to bring in five million dollars worth of new subscribers? Because that that's their only form of income. I, I I'm sure that they have it all figured out. I think at, at one point Netflix was worth more than Disney. I think we spoke about that. Um, yes, when you said that, I was very surprised because I mean that that's based solely on stock price, but like, yeah, but to yeah. discuss all of the companies that Disney owns and all of the intellectual property, it's pretty massive. As far as I know, does Netflix own any smaller companies? I mean, probably, but not. It's, any it's, it's a very ones. small. It's a very small enterprise. My did, did you know, Trent? <laughs> my uncle works for Netflix. In what capacity? I don't know. But he took me to their headquarters. Was it awesome? It was. Was it, was it very after awesome. after they've risen to power, or in their early days when they were a DVD distribution? No, service? no, no. This was 2016. 
end? Like, was it like the Facebook headquarters? Um, never been to the Facebook headquarters, but well, use the social network for reference. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was really really cool. Um, very. This is a cool place to work. Come here. Your lunch is free. Dinner's free. We have cool screening rooms. Uh, fun fact: the boardrooms that in which they have their meetings are named after shows that that are original shows so like there's a house of cards one there's a orange is the new black one there's and that's the inside scoop you get on this show because parth was uh took advantage took advantage of nepotism because his uncle works for uh a little small business known as netflix speaking of netflix let's talk about hulu and speaking of hulu let's talk about a movie on hulu Nomadland. And its synopsis, shall I say it? Please. After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. So I think the next thing worth discussing would be uh, Nomadland's performance at the Golden Globes. It won Best Drama against Promising Young Woman, Manx, Trial of the Chicago 7, and The Father. And Parth, uh, I hate to catch you off guard, but what uh, is The Father, and why have I never heard of it, and why is it getting nominated for these things? Like, should I care? Do other people? I believe The Father is a movie starring Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. So a little Silence of the Lambs reunion. Sure. Um, And he plays somebody that is like has dementia or something like that. And the reason you haven't heard of it is because it's Oscar bait. Uh-huh. And the reason it's getting nominations is because it's Oscar bait. Even though we're not even at the Oscars yet. And I don't see the father getting nominated for Best Picture. It will. I guarantee it. They will They will, They will. will throw enough money behind it to get it there. More movies get nominated for Best Picture than do for Best Drama. And this made that short list. So. Yeah statistically yeah you i i, I, I just think it, it's so clearly a movie that's almost like reverse engineered to win so we're not gonna watch it no just uh, i wouldn't count on it, it sounds boring yeah moving on uh it won chloe Zhao was i believe the, the first female of color to win uh best director the golden globes this is nice true. and and i think the only the second asian after, I think, Ang Lee for Brokeback Mountain. Awesome. And she beat Fincher. And Parth, did you see Fincher kicking back shots every time oh, he I, lost? I loved it. I, I aspire to be David Fincher in many ways. It, dude. But that especially. It, I didn't watch it, but seeing that uh, on on the highlight reel, he is the absolute king. So the other people Chloe out beat was Emerald Fennell, Regina King for One Night in Miami, and Aaron Sorkin for Chicago 7. And then it lost best script to Sorkin. Um, do you want me to continue with? Uh, well, what what do you think about that? What do you think about all that? What do you think about it winning? What do you think about it losing? Um, you got opinions, thoughts. I think Sorkin winning was a pretty obvious one. It's it, that was an easy award to give him. It it. it I think it was kind of clear. It, it's a it's a more obvious movie to win an award um chicago seven i mean um i'm fine with it i thought it was a fine script um from a fine writer um and i think 
well, we'll we'll get into our thoughts, but I I was I was perfectly happy with Nomadland winning the big awards. Yes, uh, and it was easy to give Sorkin a nod after because with any award show, you only want to give so many awards to the to the major projects, and then just for the sake of diversity, after a while, it's it's more interesting to see pe- different people do speeches. So I think it's part of like the inherent market value is that you can't give them all to one person. Trent, should I go on about the production history of this movie really quickly? So Francis McDormand and Peter Spears optioned the film rights for the book on which this is based on in 2017. Chloe Zhao made a film called The Rider uh, that was in the Toronto Film Festival 2017 after which McDormand approached her and they talked about doing the project. They filmed it over four months in fall 2018. And she was, Chloe Zhao at that point was doing pre-production for Marvel's The Eternals or Marvel's Mm -hmm. Eternals. Um, And so she was splitting time between being on set and pre-production and they lived out of vans over the course of the production. Although we found out through our interview last week, they didn't literally live out of vans but they were pretty close to it yeah that was kind of the definition of an imdb trivia exaggeration and when you uh have interviews like parth and i you get to hear from the source yeah when when you're connected the way we are you get to just know a little bit better and just are a little bit better when you're parth and your uncle works for netflix and you've been to their headquarters once in 2016 and you kind of remember the details uh you learn that people lie on the internet, which was a valuable lesson. Exactly. Continue. The movie was the first film to ever win the top prize at both Venice Film Festival and Toronto Film Festival. Um, the That's quite, quite the feat. It, it is indeed. Um, the company town of Empire Nevada is a real place that's owned by U.S. Gypsum. Uh, that's, of course, the location in the movie. In 2011, U.S. Gypsum closed the mine, and the town also closed. So workers and their families were allowed five months of continued residency in the company-owned homes after the closure, and the zip code was discontinued. So Empire became a ghost town. Yeah, I looked it up. It's eight hours from my current location. Oh my god. You could, you could be there like like nothing. In, in eight short hours. I thought if it was closer it seems like a really well put together ghost town because i've had interest in going to a utah ghost town and a lot of them are like here are rocks that used to belong to structures that you're just gonna have to imagine but if the structures were really there that would obviously be better i agree and you know what else i agree with trent mm-hmm. my classic segues this is how this is how we do it right i agree the 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 whole thing of like a ghost town like everybody just up and leaving moving on to the next thing that's kind of like what we do when we move from production history to your very well liked segment of one star reviews so this first one is by parth we have a weird bunch today i'm excited i haven't seen these yet (laughs) oh you're you're in for a doozy this first one was posted just 21 hours ago. This is a fresh wound for this man named Michael Pina. Uh, one star. Uh, he said, this disgusts me. 
I started pitching this in May 2020 with a three-minute clip to raise funds when I snuck away to at Salt on Sea to film an emotional true story of a person gay life, dot, dot, dot. Parth, stick with me. Uh, you don't know about all these people. They really start making... They really start make question many things. The sim similarities are daunting. A gay series about life struggles. Either I have good instinct or people have no integrity. Look it up on IMDb. The shots mirror this film. So does the struggle in Outsider's Life. At Michael Pina Comedy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is accusing Chloe Zhao of plagiarism. Is this not? That is exactly what's happening here. He's saying that we can go to at Michael Pina Comedy, and there will be a three-minute clip that he released in May 2020 um, about, and it's his a story. A gay series of events. Even though Nomadland filmed years prior. Also, isn't three minutes long? Also, even if she stole from him, she made a two-hour movie out of it. He yeah. only had a three-minute clip, and then it seems like he got distracted. To put it in perspective to a movie we reference a lot in this show, A Social Network, uh, Jesse Asenberg says, if you were the inventors of Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. So I think Michael Pina, if if you wanted to direct Nomadland, you should have directed Nomadland. Moving on. Parth, can you read the second one? Sure. This one is from Dan Mackle, and it was written a week ago. Sadly, this is a totally average effort Despite the great subject matter potential, the director did not develop a single character adequately, and because of the award and media review momentum, we're supposed to believe this is a Scorsese-worthy effort. It is not. The screenshots and cinematography are just random and jumbled collections of the Sierras and flocks of birds flying. It's a shame Chloe didn't pay attention to her professor at NYU, Spike Lee, in parentheses, huge fan. A great movie is something like Shawshank Redemption or Dead Poets Society, dot 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 dot. Develop! the character, and the quality of the film will follow. I have to say, this is a much more well-composed review than our, our one-star reviews generally are. So the reason I picked this is because I thought it was funny that basically most of his criticisms were just saying it's nothing like these other movies that I really like and nothing like these directors from decades ago who have nothing to do with Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Like, imagine me watching any movie and then going into the comments and being like, this was nothing like Jurassic Park. They should have paid attention more to their protege. Uh, and, 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 yeah, this was garbage. So, I thought that was funny. Alright, so this last one yeah. is by... And, say, and saying that to, like, Fight Club or something. Partha, I watched Fight Club today, and we didn't I know, even... That's why I that's why I mentioned it. Oh, wow. Nice tie-in, bro. Yeah, uh, man. That's what I that's, do. That's, that's personal... what happens when you have an uncle at Netflix. That's the personal touch you get on this show. Believe it or not, uh, off-camera, Parth and I... We do lots of we... personal touching. I was going to say we conversate from time to time. On to the third review. This one's by Paul McClellan from two weeks ago. Believe it or not, this has almost nothing to do with Nomadland. He said, yeah, I love RVing. Simply no frills style. This was depressing. We have no idea why she was traveling or what she's up to. This movie has no direction. Only made it 20 minutes in. And then here's where it gets political. Seems like it's made for elite city dwellers who don't actually travel this way. 
the reviews were fantastic. Me, well, I'd rather just sit and watch a fire. So this Paul guy, he's a real nomad, and he's saying that Nomadlands isn't for him. Because he loves RVing, and he thinks that this movie is for the elite city folk. What do you think of that? I think it's maybe not in good faith. I don't think Paul should be a representation for the whole group. I think it's fair for somebody that actually is like a nomad to say that they had problems with how that lifestyle or whatever is presented. But he's just like a guy that likes RVing. So it's not really the same thing. We don't know to the extent that Paul loves RVing. This I think we'd have true. This is Paul McClellan of two weeks ago. We don't know what Paul McClellan of now is doing. Yeah, he could be a changed man. He could be doing much better or much worse. We don't know. But uh, what's the next segment of the show? There's more, right? Uh, yeah. We when you watch a movie, do you do you do you find yourself having thoughts about it? Yeah, I'd say now that we're about 25 minutes in, let's uh, breach the subject of the movie. Trent, what were your initial thoughts? Go. Oof. uh, I've pretty much watched it twice now, and I don't think that this movie has, like, an instant rewatchability factor. I think it's, like, a a touch-and-feel piece, and I think a lot of people complained about that, that it was, like, too slow, But I just liked being along for the ride, and I think the whole point is, for better or for worse, you're going through, like, the exciting and the mundane of the everyday life of someone who does this very specific lifestyle that most people haven't heard about. So I think it's it's very insightful. Uh, What are your initial thoughts? Um, I agree with what you said. Um... I thought it was a really well-made movie. Um, I don't think it really, like, worked to, like... Like, I've seen a lot of people say it was, like, a profoundly emotional experience for them, and I don't know that that was it for me. Um, I really appreciated everything that was happening on a filmmaking level and on an acting level. It's a really good-looking movie, and the performances are really good, both from the... from Francis McDormand and the several non-actors that work in the movie um everything felt believable and it felt honest yeah it's the type of movie i think i think we talked about it with tenet it's it's exactly the type of movie they set out to make so for better or for worse you either get you either like it it either works for you or it doesn't uh and it worked for me um there's nothing i would really change um but yeah that i guess that was my takeaway so a few interesting things i'd like to share did you know that chloe zhao's cinematographer is her like husband or like fiance really partner isn't that awesome yeah i think that 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 reminds me of george miller uh the director of mad max fury road his wife edit edited that movie uh so the other thing i wanted to share is uh Parth, do you... How long would you think this screenplay might be? 
I don't think it had a screenplay, did it? I would say like maybe like a 30-page outline. So it's interesting that you said that. So uh, the movie is uh, 110 minutes long, and typically the rule is, oh, a minute per page. Uh, the screenplay was 87 pages long, and oh. I was... So, yeah, I know. I was shocked by that as well, because the I think the impression this movie gives off is very... I mean, it's admittedly docu-style, but to me it feels like... We went out for four months, and this is kind of what we learned in the interview, is we filmed as much as possible, and then it was made in the edit. And obviously it was based on a 278-page book of the same name by Jessica Bruder, so they had a lot of material to work with, especially when you're working with non-actors, and from what I read on IMDb Trivia, it, it seemed so involved to the point that these people were complete strangers and they didn't even know that Frances McDormand was a famous person and she was in complete character and she was sharing stories and they thought they were true. I mean, I haven't read the screenplay, but I just thought that this movie would have been primarily or like largely based in improv or just like things they figured out along the way, which is why I was kind of baffled by, like, Best Script nomination. I mean, and I think that there's a lot of, like, profound dialogue. I just think it's much more of, like, a visual, aesthetic piece than, like, it's certainly not snappy people talking. It's just, like, something profound is said, like, every, like, 20 minutes. Obviously, I guess snappy people talking is why Sorkin won uh, the Golden Globe. Um yeah, I, I think that's our personal preference. It's interesting that it had an 87-page script. Um, although I, I'm pretty sure Mary said that there were scenes that were entirely scripted that they then sort of, it was all kind of whatever. Like it was like, well, th- this can be a basis. We can either go like completely on the script or we can go off the handle. So I'm interested to see how much of that 87 pages was actually retained in the actual movie. Um, cause, cause this movie was sort of constructed to the point where as, as you'll hear in our exclusive interview with Mary Kerrigan, um, the most difficult sequence to execute wasn't even in the movie. Um, cause it didn't serve the story. They mention it in a scene in the movie and that I thought that it was rewarding that she, that ne- ne- now we know deleted yeah, it, scene. It was in the movie. The beep- yeah, the, they went through the trouble sh- shooting a whole-ass beat festival, and apparently it was uh, quite a commotion. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to get into, like, production elements and whatever, um, ob- like, I think that's the most obviously well-done part of the movie. Um, it's shot in, like, most, I-, I would assume, all natural lighting plus whatever, like, reflectors and whatnot. Um, and it looks great. Um, uh, yeah, I, it's, 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 sh- it's just shot really beautifully. I didn't know it was done by her husband, uh, or partner. Um, yeah, I, it, from what I understand, he, he is her cinematographer on everything. Interesting. Uh, and from what I understand, Chloe Zhao, wh- she was a poli-sci major in college and then she went to nyu tisch grad school and then her feature debut 
was in 2013. And she filmed an Indian Reservation, it got into Sundance, then she did The Rider, now this. Next is... And next she's directing Marvel's The Eternals, so that's, like, a big jump. Sudden, she went from an indie to a Marvel director quite fast. Yeah. That's how they pick them. Yeah, who who is the um, Fruitvale Station director who went Ryan on to... Ryan Yeah, there you go. Um, but what I was gonna say is that's why... That's why the marquee in the movie says... Marvel's The Avengers, even though they, like the timeline doesn't really make sense for that. But I think everyone's willing to look past it. It's because she's working with, uh, with the Disney peoples. So, Parth, how do you think this movie will fare at the Oscars? If you were to pick out some nominations you think it will receive? Um, I mean, I guess the Globes are probably like a good indicator. So probably like Best Script, Best Actor or Actress for McDormand, Best Director for Chloe, and Best Film, um, Best Cinematography, maybe? I don't see this winning Best Picture, um, partly just because I have a gut feeling, and also partly because I think the Oscars try not to pick the same thing as the Golden Globes, just for sake of variety. That's not true. They generally pick the same thing. What about... I mean, last year wasn't last year. Was last year was, last year was and, an and Parasite. upset. Last year was an upset, but that that was, I think, almost a an apology for Green Book winning Did, in twenty. Well, Green Book winning Best Picture the year before is an absolute abomination. But uh, it's crazy. We twenty seventeen was Moonlight, right? Yeah. Well, it was La La Land, and then it was Moonlight. It's it's like the uh, it's like the president political party shifting back and forth like uh, like Moonlight is Obama and then Green Book is Trump and then Biden is like the redemption and that's uh, and that's par- and that's Parasite yeah I-, I think that metaphor holds some water sure okay I think uh, I, I, I think I think it mu- I think it has a, I think it stands a good chance. Did um, Fran- Francis didn't win Best Act Actress? Did she? I don't think. Or so. Or was no. she even nominated? I don't know. I would assume I, so. I, I looked it up today, and I I don't think it was mentioned, which I think is kind of crazy because she's in every scene of this movie. No, she she was she was nominated. All right. So who won, and who else was uh, who who was she up against? Oh, she did win. Oh, I wish someone told us. Well, congratulations to Frances McDormand. Uh, the news is just breaking, so. So I, I think she's kind of a shoe in for winning. Well, r- read who the competition was. So Frances McDormand did win the Globes um, for Best Actress, uh, and she was against. Now we know. She was against Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman and Andre Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday. I don't want to be crucified on the air, but I was looking at the Golden Globe nominations earlier and it kind of just seemed like it was the same five or six movies being recycled over and over again. And I was really just kind of bored by it. And I was kind of bored by the winners too. I, 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 like, I've never tuned in for that award show, and I r- really have no intention of it. Uh, also, the inclusion of TV, 
I'm an Oscar snob, I'm afraid. You you don't you you don't like that one show where they pay to win the awards. You like the other show where they pay to win the awards? Well, what is it? The uh, Hollywood Foreign Press is what like seventy six people. Yes, it's it's a much smaller group of people. At, at least the Oscar voting body has gone through some lengths to pretend that they are diversifying, and now they have, like, 6,000 voters. Uh, but, yeah, I just think I, the Golden Globes is boring. I don't. I feel like this wasn't a bad movie year, and this reflects it as, as one, you know? I suppose. I don't know. I think... I would agree that maybe there's a, like, it feels a little bit like a lot of the movies are sort of dealing with the same issues, but I'd rather this, this type of movie, or like, these types of movies get not nominated as like, oh, well, it's the same type of movie. I'd rather it be this type of movie than a movie like Green Book or something like that because i think at the very least it's moving in a direction where it isn't a bunch of white guys saying like we we're great hollywood's great america's great the strangely enough the argument i'm actually almost making is that one movie should only be able to get like two or three nominations because that would just open the door for more movies to be in the conversation and to be, like, on the piece of paper and to be out, like, in the world, like, getting all that publicity. Just because it would bring more in to discussion. I think that would just, by nature, make it more interesting and feel like we were diversifying things. Even though I, I don't... I, even though I don't think putting a nomination limit is the answer, because there are obviously cases where movies win the big five, and they deserve it. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair um, point. I, I think... I don't know. I, I don't really have strong feelings towards Nomadland. It winning is nice, I guess. Um, I mean, I like that an Asian-American woman got got it and not... I mean, Aaron Sorkin's got enough stuff going on, and David Fincher's already won a globe, so I'm not too unhappy that they lost. Has Fincher never won an Oscar? No. Isn't that such an abomination? Uh, tell me about it. But um, and and the crazy—I mean, not to get too off topic, but with the amount yeah, because, of movies, because we're really good about that. <laughs> With the amount of movies he has left, I don't know if he's going to get one. And I think that that's an he'll, embarrassment. He'll get one. He'll get one. Yeah. He, the... he makes he makes a prestige picture every, like, ten years that gets nominated. Even if he makes Mank 2 Electric Boogaloo, if that's his last movie, they're going to be like, ah, we'll throw it to you. Yeah. Imagine if he made Mank 2. What would that be? I I mean that's kind of why it's funny because considering what it would be is so impossible. No, no, no. I'm, I'm asking. What do you think? How like how do you like a studio comes to you and says, Trent, after this movie you get a blank check, but you need to make this movie. It's made so too. I, I, I'm the Orson Welles in this scenario. Sure. Well, no, uh, okay. the studio is Orson Welles. You are Mank in this scenario. Well, it's funny because Mank 1 covers literally his entire life. I, I mean, the only thing left open for interpretation would be 
like the per- the first thirty years before he writes Citizen Kane, so even like though a, you could do like a you know what you could do you could do like a Godfather two type thing where it cuts back and forth. You see the origin of Mank. so I'll I'll get Robert De Niro to play young Mank. Yeah, and we we use the de aging technology for the Irishman. <laughs> I was just about to say that. But um, it's it's funny because the whole thesis statement of Mank 1 is this man is only important because he made this movie. And since we've already covered that in the first version, we'd be pretty strapped for material. Wait. Anyways. At, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should get back to our thoughts on Nomadland and say our goodbyes okay i thought the all right let me ask you first what do you think is the strongest scene in the whole movie i think like the obvious answer would be the scene i mean i guess we're in spoiler territory now but um the scene where she's explaining like that she was maybe holding on to something that didn't exist anymore it's the most movie type moment in the movie but um it it was I really liked the fact that the movie kind of stopped for a second to not that it's like a fast paced movie, but it, it really, you know, it, it gave its, it gave her a chance to almost talk to the audience. And I kind of liked that. So I thought the, the first one I wrote down was just as I was watching it, this is very enjoyable. I think this is like the essence of, we're hanging out with the characters and they're going around and doing kind of zany stuff and being personable is Francis and the two other old ladies when they were in like the fancy tour bus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as I continued through the movie, uh, the final major scene when Francis returns to empire, I was like, Oh, what the, this is what the movie's about. And, then to end on, like, the very, like, stagecoach reminiscent, like, her walking out the door s- shot, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Like, I read a lot of negative reviews saying this movie is too many shots of driving and van parks and mountains and sunsets, which is partly true. And upon rewatch, that definitely came to my attention, but... I don't think this is a particularly fun movie, but it's like a, it's a, it's a low energy kind of, I don't want to say like old people hangout movie. It's, it's to, to use a film, film bro word or phrase. It's, it's a tone poem. It's not really about plot or even really character. Um, it's kind of about one character, but it isn't sort of concerned with like, like, tr- like traditional arcs and things. It's it's kind of experiencing the feeling of watching all these people live their lives. And now that you mention that, only upon returning did I realize Frances McDormand's character doesn't really make that much of an arc. Am I wrong? Like she goes I, I would on the say she she goes on a pretty big journey and then realizes that like she was s- sort of holding on to something for really for a really long time for so long that she kind of lost sight of who she was. Yeah, so the major bookends of the movie 
is, like, the opening scene is her, like, picking all of her possessions up from a storage container, and then one of the final moments is her giving all of her stuff up. So I was thinking, is the th- is the focus of the movie supposed to be, like, the materialism? Is that the theme we're tackling? And I think that's, like, one of many things. But uh, I thought it was interesting when we got the inside scoop during the interview about the... Uh, the time spent in Amazon, and I thought the somewhat flattering portrayal of the Amazon factory was kind of funny, but unnecessary evil, as we learned. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think that she goes through an arc, just not a very... It's Again, the movie's not a normal movie. It's not playing by, like, the same rules, so you can't really judge it on those terms. Um, So, like, I, I think for what the movie is going for she has a sufficient enough arc present within her parth i think we're just about ready to uh to slap a number onto this to 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 really simplify this movie down to a single digit trent mm-hmm. out of 10 go i'm gonna say a seven um i which i I mean, this movie has a, a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, so I guess I'm kind of in the minority, but I, I enjoyed it a lot during the first watch, and I think it's a very beautiful experience. I just think the lack of rewatchability um, is the main thing holding me back, is what I'm afraid to say is the Schindler's List effect. Um not that it wasn't fun, it's just like I know it's tricks now, and it wasn't fast-paced, or wasn't particularly engaging or relatable. It was the people's shoes I got to live in for two hours, and I learned some stuff, and I think that's great. But I'm not going back. Parth, what do you think? I'm going to give the same rating. I, 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 out of a f- I, I have letterboxed, and on that I gave it a 4 out of 5, but... I think an eight out of ten sounds a bit high because I don't. I didn't. I thought the same. Again, it, it's 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 a movie where it it did its job. It did exactly what it was trying to do, exactly the way it was trying to do it. But it didn't. Per, I just didn't feel that really gut emotional reaction that some people did, and that might be rectified by a rewatch or something. I just don't see myself doing that super soon, um, if at all. So I think a 7 out of 10, it, it's a very, very well-made movie. So so with that being said, I, like, I think it's crazy the amount of recognition this movie's getting. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it isn't it, it quite notable, the disparity between R7s and the potential for it to win Best Picture? Mm-hmm. Because you'd think that the best picture winner would be more than a seven. I, uh, and uh, but, but I mean, they, 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 tons of movies win best picture that are well, like, uh, fine. Yeah. Mank is also going to get nominated for best picture. And, and what did it, you it think might win? And, and like, I didn't like Mank at all. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think Mank is going to win. Um, but we'll get to that on a future episode, even though we already covered Mank. Mank maybe we'll do Mank too. You see yeah, what I did the, there? the one that the one that Trent writes. Um, so Parth, we have additional episodes. I mean, 
We have an interview tomorrow morning. Yeah. Right? Um, we are going to be talking with Pierre Bohanna. Uh, we'll figure out if that's how you pronounce his name tomorrow. Um, but he, what movie did he work on? What did he do? He was a costume modeler for Edge of Tomorrow, uh, a favorite of mine, a TC, a Tom Cruise film, um, and a Doug Liman film. Nice. I, I, our second Doug Liman picture. Yeah. So, well, you can catch that next week. Well, Parth, that inter- that interview sounds great. I'll be sure to be there. I have to, but the rest of the viewers, they can choose to come. I hope or they not. do. I mean, yeah, like, let's hope, but... Um... Find are us we, next we week on our show. Is it over? Craft can Services, the podcast. Mm-hmm.